Welcome to episode 250 of the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Blank. This is what you normally know, a time of year after we've set our goals that we already did and we're looking forward. We kind of do a best of review of 2020 uh, because we've had so many great podcast episodes. So uh, my team and I spend a long time kind of figuring out, man, what are the highlights of, of this year's podcast? What are the best lessons learned, the top snippets that we think that you should remember? And so we went back in our RQI for 2020 and look back at some of the, or at least our favorite and most popular download episodes. And so here's some of the highlights that we're going to include today. Of course, coronavirus was the big news topic of 2020. And it, you know, we really had some podcast episodes of Market Outlook, what's happening right now. And we had, uh, among other, an amazing panel. I'm going to share some thoughts that Drew Niffen had, a president of Nighthawk Equity with that. We also had Russell Gray from the Real Estate Guys, and we talked about how to protect your wealth during a crisis. And uh, then we shifted gears a little bit. We talked a lot about marketing uh, this past year. There, the demand for how do you market to raise more capital was big, and I was had a chance to to interview one of my two heroes, Amy Porterfield and Pat Flynn, two giants of the online marketing space. Uh, in entrepreneurship, one of our favorite episodes was the interview we had recently with Gino Wickman. We talked about, hey, do you have what it takes to be an entrepreneur? Then we had Brandon Turner on from Bigger Pockets. Always, in, always love talking to Brandon. And uh, we jammed for a good amount. And then during 2020, we also introduced some new voices and faces, some co-hosts, Drew Whitson and Garrett Lynch. And, you know, I hope you enjoy listening to our, our podcast as much as I'm putting it together. So let's kind of go through some of these highlights and snippets of the best top podcast episodes in 2020. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Block. So let's kick things off with the COVID panel, uh, COVID-19 panel we had. This was episode 208. Go back to 208. And uh, on the panel, I addressed Drew Niffen of Nighthawk Equity, which is our investment firm. You know, is the sky falling, right? Is the sky falling? And, and you know, for passive investors specifically who are, you know, a little uncertain about it, you know, and are maybe they're biting their nails asking, hey, am I going to lose all my money in this thing? Are we going to lose all these properties, going to foreclosure? Is the, you know, the eviction moratorium going to, you know, wipe out? Our investment. And so I asked him from an investor's viewpoint, how at risk is their investment through all this? And here's what he had to say. I don't, I mean, maybe your IRR has been dinged, right? It was going to be 17 and now it's 14 or something along those lines. But you know, the unless your property was already being run poorly, COVID is not going to drive it into bankruptcy. I don't think. I mean, we got two trillion dollars in stimulus. Housing is a non-discretionary asset, and most of us are in non-discretionary types of housing. We're not in the class A's that Ellie were referring to. So I don't think that's the case, right? And I was talking to a friend recently, you know, all of us took a 30% paper loss in our stock portfolio. So if we had $100,000 in the market, we're now down to 70,000. Everyone like, you can look online every hour and see how much money you've lost that hour. And one of the great things about this asset class is I can't like, I still have a building that's 100% occupied and it's still providing the same valuable good and service to my tenants that it was before COVID-19. And it's going to still give me a cash distribution right next month. And there's a beauty to the fact that unlike the stock market, we can't check the value of our asset every hour. It, it provides some sort of sanity. Uh, and so I think for the investor out there, for the impassive investor, it's nice to just not you know, worry yourself sick about the investment every hour looking at the stock value. 
you know, these are phenomenal asset classes throughout time, throughout recessions, and they will continue to be. Uh, will this have some mathematical impact on your investment? Probably, but is it still a phenomenal asset class with great long-term macroeconomic trends? It absolutely is. So our, our thesis for why we do this is unchanged. Another panel we had, uh, one of our favorite ones we do every single year, is what's working now? And it's a little bit aimed at more and more of the active investor. What's going on right now? We have a panel of experts who work with dozens of our students. You know, what's working and what's working now? We do that every time at uh, Dealmaker Live, which is our annual event in July. Uh, keep an eye open for that. That's dealmakerliveevent.com when it does come out about that. And it was 228 was the episode, episode 228, where uh, Drew Whitson, who heads up our mentoring organization, he's also one of our partners and one of our co-hosts as well. And uh, he headed up this, this panel. And if you are interested in mentoring, we're so proud of this program. You would get to work one-on-one with a full-time syndicator. And we've had just dozens of people do their first deal and quitting their jobs now. So if you're interested in mentoring, if you value mentoring to help you accelerate your goals and to avoid some of the big mistakes, head on over to themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor and schedule a free strategy call with us to see if mentoring is right for you. So here's what Drew Whitson had to say. When I asked him, you know, is multifamily still one of the strongest assets in real estate right now? Yeah, one of the most amazing things that I'm telling students is that we are living in the time when multifamily is going to come out as one of the strongest assets in real estate. I have friends that are working that own office buildings, they own retail, they own uh, medical, and they're getting hammered, right? They're getting hammered. So I think we're living in a data point that will further cement the multifamily asset as a conservative, reasonable, really just performing asset through thick and thin. And so I think that's part of the reasons that we tend to play. We tell her, that's, that's our, we're crossing our fingers, Todd, but that's the reason we tend to play in this asset class, right? Moving students forward to say, look, you need to be taking action. These assets are performing significantly better than what we had anticipated, right? It's, it, it, it weathers the, the storms of uh, economic disruptions well. And that's why, that's why we like this asset class as a good long-term asset that produces cash and performs really well. You know, one of the more common themes emerging from all this COVID-19 talk is how solid of investment real estate is, but multifamily in general, especially how it's been forming since this crisis started. And so in episode 266, I had a chance to sit down with Russell Gray of the Real Estate Guys, and we talked about, you know, that the title was Knowing How to Protect Your Wealth in a Crisis. And so I had a chance to chat with Russell about, hey, how do you preserve wealth in the time of crisis that we're in right now? And here's the highlight of what we had to say about that topic. Well, I mean, besides the obvious cash flow, right, and leverage in terms of niches, I think you need to stick in this environment no matter what you're investing in. If you're a stock investor, uh, whatever, I think you need to invest in things that are real and essential. So, for example, we're finding right now that one of the most stable places to be in terms of real estate is residential. Why? Because even when people don't go to the mall, even when people don't go to the office, they still need a place to sleep at night, every night, even when they're working at home. So residential is much more secure than any other niche of real estate. So for that reason, I like residential. In terms of economic drivers for a marketplace, I still like energy. I know energy is under distress right now, but I don't think energy or the need for energy is going anywhere and those jobs cannot be exported. So I would look at the current weakness in energy markets as an opportunity to go shopping uh, with the idea that down the road, even if that energy is produced and shipped to China and India and the United States falls down a few notches in terms of an economic superpower, 
the end of the day, markets that are supported by energy revenue are probably going to be resilient. I would put agriculture in that category. Now, it's hard to do agriculture in the United States. You know, we like that offshore because of, you know, the affordability, the labor, the regulations, and all of that. But that way, you don't have to get the local economy right. You're investing in an income-producing piece of land whose product is not shelter or a place to conduct business, but it's a product uh, that's renewable that gets shipped anywhere on the planet where prosperity exists. So I like that. I think healthcare uh, is not a bad place to be because, you know, people can skip a lot of things and governments can let a lot of things be neglected, but housing and healthcare and energy are three areas that the government is going to use whatever means they have. And they may lose some of their means, but whatever means they have, uh, they're definitely going to put into supporting healthcare uh, and that can't be exported. All right, next up, we're going to dive into some lessons from a master multifamily deal maker with the master himself, Garrett Lynch. And this is episode 231. Garrett Lynch is our director of acquisitions for Nighthawk Equity, and he's just an animal in finding deals. We were able to find and close on two deals last year because of Garrett's tenacity and relationship building with the brokers. And gosh, there was so much gold in this episode. You can definitely go back and listen to 231. If you haven't listened to it, uh, the whole thing, I suggest you do that. But one of the topics we get quite often is about market selection. Selection and what to look for when selecting a market. Here's what Garrett uh, had to say about that question. So you want to make sure that, you know, I, I honestly, the way that I start out is getting an idea of what markets have, you know, first off, I, I like, but there's a combination of just, it's not just having a market that you like, it's having enough resources to be able to operate once you get into it. Too many people, and also the inventory, you got to have inventory too, right? So as an example, you mentioned top tier markets. Let's just use Dallas. Everybody loves Dallas. Okay. Well, there's a lot of groups that launch out there that want to buy in Dallas and you're dealing, you know, you're dealing with a lot of people that have been there forever and they're getting a lot of that deal flow. So you have a, a quite an uphill battle if you're just entering into Dallas just to begin there. So maybe you look at a market that's, you know, not quite Dallas where there is a ton of inventory, but it's not as overheated. And you go in and check that out and you got to look at the population growth and the job growth and just overall economic growth of, of that market so that you're, you, you have a tailwind behind you versus a headwind. You can make money in any market, don't get me wrong, with the right strategy, but it's a lot easier if you're in markets where you have good things happening there so that you can achieve the higher rents that you're looking to get. And we found that to be true, absolutely, in our market selection. What we're looking now are more secondary markets in better locations where, where we can add value to a property. Maybe there's a, a property with all classic units that's in the best area of a market with great economics. And then we will you know, go deeper into that. And so I think um, you know, when you're looking at markets, you want to do your research and your homework on it, but understand that there has to be inventory. And there has to be enough resources. And what I mean by that is our management staff. And if there's only a handful of managers in a market, when you get in there, they go, they start, they cycle out and then you're stuck and the resources after you close. So if you look for those two things, I think you, you'll have a good shot. 
So changing gears a little bit, we talked a lot about online marketing to especially scale your syndication business to attract more investors uh, that you don't even know right now. And there is a, a lot of demand for this kind of thing as syndicators because we, you know, we think we're in the real estate investing business, which we are up to a certain point. Uh, when we need to actually attract more capital, how do we do that? So in last year in 2020, we launched our platform builder program uh, that is workshop style. We actually not only teach you what a platform is, we actually build it for you. We hand you the platform, all the funnels, all the automations that basically attract new investors who come to you, learn about you, schedule a call with you. Uh, you basically build trust with them and then you can present them with a deal and, and raise money seemingly effortlessly in just a matter of a few days. And so we've had uh, almost 50 people go through that workshop. If you want to learn more about that, it's at platformbuilders.com. And again, these are open only about three times a year. So when you go to that website, uh, you can put yourself on the, on the waiting list if you're interested in that and finding out more when it does launch. But so marketing is so important as syndicators. Maybe not you know, right now if you haven't done your first deal yet. But certainly once you've done your first deal or even your second deal or third deal, once you start to really want to scale your syndication business, marketing becomes super important. So I was just really thrilled to be able to interview two of my marketing heroes, the two that I looked up to when I first got started with this in 2014, when I started blogging and building an online business around educating people how to raise money, how to buy apartment buildings, how to syndicate the whole thing. And those are Pat Flynn and Amy Porterfield. And in episode 210, uh, with Pat Flynn, who was building an online uh, platform and connecting with investors was the title of that. Some of you are, don't even know what maybe a platform is or if it's even for you, you're on the fence about that. And I asked Pat to share with us what, who he thought should consider building an online thought leadership platform. And here's what he had to say. I mean, honestly, I think everybody should. To me, it is your personal brand, if you will, such that you can do a lot of things when you build that audience base, even if it's a small one. And to give you an example, I recently invented a product it's called the switch pod. It's like a fancy tripod that people who vlog use. The legs of the tripod fold in to make it a selfie stick, essentially. And then it snaps out into a tripod really quickly. Anyway, I didn't start from scratch because I had a platform. Even though this was a completely new thing, the fact that I had an audience already and I sort of shared the journey with them and a lot of them have uh, video channels as well. When we launched in February 2019, it wasn't a surprise. They knew it was coming and actually they were excited and they wanted to get behind it. And even though a lot of them didn't buy it, they knew it was coming and they shared it with people who would be interested in it too. And we ended up raising $418,000 in 60 days for a brand new product, essentially validating it. And then, of course, not all of that was profit. A lot of that was used to build the tooling to make the product. But now that product is on Amazon. It is uh, potentially getting into big box retailers. It's definitely on uh, retail stores online already. And it's just become a business of its own. And it was because of the platform and the ability to have a place to announce, a place to connect, a place to build relationships, and a place to prove authority, you can do so much with that. You know, even, even if you're kind of lost and not sure what to do yet, just putting yourself up there and actually starting to make connections and discover the needs of others, but also have other people discover you. That's the other beauty of this is online. I mean, there's millions of people, right? So you might be like, well, like, how do I stand out? Well, nobody's like you. You are 100% original. So when you show up, you become that human. And business to me today matter what it is, we're talking real estate, online business, whatever. It's to me, no longer B2B or B2C. As my, as my buddy Chris Ducker says, it's P2P, person to person. And having a platform allows you to show up as a person and for people to find you and begin to trust you, to know, like, and trust you and want to do business with you too. 
Another great question I get a lot of time uh, by our platform builder students who want to start marketing themselves online, attracting new investors is how do you create consistent content, right? Because that's how you build trust and rapport with your audience and turn them into raving fans who want to invest with you. And Pat, this is Pat's favorite topic is producing content consistently. And so he had some great tips to share that I think you can start implementing this year as well. Here's how to say about creating content consistently. The main thing is you just want to be consistent with your content. You don't have to come out with something every day or even every week. As long as you have and commit to some sort of regularity in the content so that people can regularly assume that you're going to be able to be there and help them, well, then that's, it's going to win no matter what platform you choose. It just might take some experimentation to sort of get your legs going. Yeah, I mean, producing content regular is is a, is a one thing, and that's when I speak to people. They're like, um, "Yeah, I, I'm not really. I don't know if I can do that. I'm not really a writer. I don't like the way I look on video. I I don't know if I can do that. You're asking me to do too much. What What are your tips for producing content consistently? So, number one, I always recommend having planning sessions, and I do this once a quarter to understand. Okay, well, what's the content that I'm going to create later? Where we don't want to be, which is where I was for the first six years of my business that almost burnt me out, was waking up on that day and going, okay, what am I going to write about? Or waking up on that day and going, okay, well, I guess I have to figure out what I'm going to podcast about. You never want to get to that sort of moment because then it feels like a chore versus what a CEO does in their business is they plan ahead. So you might have a quarterly meeting with your team or even just yourself to go, okay, well, this next quarter, what's the content that we're going to talk about? What are the big things that are happening in the world right now that we could discuss? What are the most pressing questions that my audience has? And then also on top of that, what you could do that's very beneficial when you plan ahead is you can go, okay, well, you know, let's just say, for example, in, in July, I want to plan a launch of my course. Great. So now that it's May, for example, I'm going to plan for content around my course in July to help people overcome objections, to really support the idea of getting involved with something like that. And then um, July, you launch and everybody's now warmed up to that idea. And, and the launch, you, you've already started the launch process by seeding that topic versus you can't do that if you're just waking up every day and trying to create content. Our best of episode wouldn't be complete without mentioning episode 212 with my other marketing hero, Amy Porterfield. And it was titled Simple Online Marketing to Scale Your Syndication Business. We talked about the differences between building up your social media which everybody associates with an online platform versus building your email list, okay? And of the two, the differences, what is the actual, the most important of the two? And, and the answer may surprise you. Here's what she had to say about that. So what I say to that is you can never trust social media. And so social what? media... If, if you fully trust social media, it's like putting all your eggs in one basket. And to me, that basket is really rickety. There's, there's some holes in that basket. And the reason being is like a perfect example years ago when Mark Zuckerberg decided to change Facebook's algorithm and all of a sudden all your organic traffic that you used to get on Facebook now had to be paid for. Like that was a really big switch that we instantly saw. And so with social media, the algorithms are going to change. You do not own it. They could literally take it away from you in an instant. Like I've known people that have gotten their Instagram accounts taken away, their Facebook accounts. It happens. That's worst case scenario, but you cannot trust it. What you can trust is your email list. You own it. It's your asset. 
You get to nurture it and curate it and it's yours. And that is where you get substantial growth and where the relationships really start to happen. Lot less noise via email marketing versus social media. Now you might say, but Amy, there's so many emails people get during a day, but there's only a few emails that people will open up consistently. When you find a way to be that email they open up, that is golden. And that's the kind of email marketing I teach. One of the key ways that you can actually capture website visitors or social media followers is by capturing their email address. And for that, you need to give away something of value that is also for free. And you give that in turn for your email address. And that thing that you give away for free is called a lead magnet. And I love this tip from Amy on what is a lead magnet and how to create one for yourself. From there, you create an, a lead magnet. You have to have a lead magnet. What so is that, going, Amy? Yeah, so we're going to go there fast. So a lead magnet is something of value, a PDF, cheat sheet, checklist, guide, a short video, a short audio. It is one piece of content that you give away for free in exchange for name and email. So that means it goes behind an opt-in page. You drive traffic to an opt-in page. They give you their name and email. You email them your freebie of whatever it is. So freebie, um, giveaway, lead magnet. There's different names for this, but it's all the same thing. Now, what I teach with the lead magnet is that it has to be irresistible. It's got to be some of your best stuff. I'm all about giving some of your best stuff away for free. I want them to get this lead magnet and think, I can't believe that he gave this to me for free. That's how good I want it to be. And email is a hot commodity. Somebody giving you their email these days, they don't give it up as freely as they did 10 years ago. So you've got to work for it a little bit. That's why this lead magnet needs to be really good. You just need one though. You don't need 20 lead magnets in order to grow your email list. One really good one could do the trick. Yeah, that's that's right. So ours is called, what's a better investment, a stock market or real estate? Right, because that's oh, a great question, right? Perfect. Well, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Or if you're a doctor raising money from doctors, it might be how to not burn out in your in your job. Or if you're a financial advisor, how to not run out of money in your retirement, right? Like yes. whoever your, your avatar is, back to who is your avatar, and, uh, and, and that lead magnet is of high value. Whoever goes to your website will see that and go, well, I want the answer to that question. And, yes. Right? That's that, is that kind of how it works? It's exactly how it works. And I'm going to give you a little piece of advice to help you choose what lead magnet is great for you. I call it the invisible bridge. So it's where your audience is now and where you want them to go. And eventually where you want them to go, am I right? You want them to invest. Is that right? That's right. Okay, so where they are now and where you want them to be investing, there's an invisible bridge that they need to cross to be ready to trust you, invest with you, believe in what they're doing. So here's the golden question to create your lead magnet. What does my avatar need to know or understand or believe in order to want to do business with me? What, what mindset shift do they need? What do they need to believe? What do they need to understand for the first time in order to get over that invisible bridge to say, I want to do business with you. That's what a lead magnet will do. It will answer that question. Your lead magnet is perfect because it helps them understand what's more valuable. Once they understand that real estate's more valuable, they're paying attention, but you need to get them there. So you help them cross that invisible bridge. 
I also got a chance to interview Gino Wickman in episode 243. He's the author of the book Entrepreneurial Leap. And it really talks about, hey, do you have what it takes to be an entrepreneur? And he really kind of breaks down the characteristics of successful entrepreneurs. And he has a quiz that he takes. And it's so awesome. He also talks about the eight common mistakes that entrepreneurs make. And we specifically talked about entrepreneur as an apartment investor, because as apartment investors, we actually are also entrepreneurs. And he had a just amazing insight to share about how to keep yourself on track and away from the shiny object syndrome. Yeah, no, I love that. And then we're again, we're in this glimpse part. And so as I mentioned a, a few minutes ago, what I share in glimpse is a day in the life, both heaven and hell, the dream and the yeah, nightmare. Right. And I'm sharing that contrast because I'm trying to help that entrepreneur in the making understand it is an option and is avoidable to not live the nightmare. And there are eight critical mistakes. And so almost that every many, entrepreneur huh? makes these mistakes. I'm going to rip through them really fast. You pick one or two that you want to drill deeper on. But this is what mistakes entrepreneurs make almost all the time. Number one, not having a vision. Two, hiring the wrong people. Three, not spending time with your people. Four, not knowing who your customer is. Five, not charging enough. Six, not staying true to your core. Seven, not knowing your numbers. Eight, not crystallizing roles and responsibilities. That's a lot of mistakes right there. <laughs> I don't know. We could, almost we could spend, <laughs> we could, we could spend a quite a quite a bit on on that. I you know I think for me that stood out is not uh, that is not staying true to your core. Uh, to some degree, because there's some degree of shiny objectitis. Uh, on the other hand, there's opportunities that just are really lucrative. Yeah, They don't feel quite right and maybe don't serve your mission, but man, you'd be an idiot not to go down that path. And then sometimes we make these decisions and we take advantage of these opportunities because they're short-sighted and lucrative. I don't know. Is there like a biggest mistake? Is there a top? So, Gino, pick the number one mistake entrepreneurs make. Well, unfortunately, no, they're all equally weighted. And this is what, you know, again, almost every entrepreneur I work with that I help them go to the next level, they all suffered from these mistakes. So they're equal, but let's pick the one that you picked. And I just want to give your audience an example. So not staying true to your core. And so the classic example is that entrepreneur, again, typically attended 250 person company privately held. They got so successful that they found themselves in other businesses doing other things. And like you said, they saw shiny stuff, but they don't realize how that's going to distract their focus. Well, to use the apartment industry, you know, let's pretend because with every one of my apartment clients, we get hyper clear on what type of building are you going after? What is the geography? What is the psychographic of the tenant you're looking for? And to the degree you focus on those kind of properties, you have a very focused model that you can scale. But now let's pretend you don't do that. You don't stay true to core. And you go after A, B, and C properties. You look everywhere in the country. In other words, every place, everywhere is fine. You'll buy a two-unit building or a 250-unit building. So all of a sudden, that's a buckshot approach to the world. And let's pretend you grow that to 2,000 units. And all of a sudden, you have 25 properties with four units. And you, and you, you get what I'm trying to say. It's just kind of this, this complex mess where if you'll focus on your core, where do you excel? What is your sweet spot? What are you drawn to? It's going to help you be much more focused, clear, and less complex. Gene also shared some of his not only key traits of successful entrepreneurs, but their ability to partner. And we are in a business where partnerships are very common. So here's what he had to say about partnerships. Yeah. And so again, I'm just now I'm going to give you the flip side of this. And actually now you're jumping to paths. So since you're going there, I'm just going to take you there. And so Let's go now that path. we've... 
Yeah, now that we've confirmed you're an entrepreneur in the making, we've shown you a glimpse, you've chosen the business you're gonna go after. So again, in confirm, take the assessment, that's the tool. In glimpse, you would fill out my biz match, but you don't need to, because you know you're gonna be in the apartment business, just decide the size you wanna build. In yeah, and path, the markets, that's a good point. Exactly, in path, now we're gonna show you a path to greatly increase your odds of success, and again, help you avoid a bunch, avoid a bunch of mistakes. And so in that part of the book, I teach something called the eight disciplines for increasing your odds of success. And again, I'll just quickly rip through them. You pick the one that you want to talk about, but it's clarifying your vision. It's deciding if you are a partner person. That's always a fun one. Know that the bigger the problem you solve in the world, the more successful you will be. Number four, get feedback from customers and clients early and often. Number five, know that your first plan will not be your final plan. Number six, work hard, really hard. Number seven, take criticism and doubt from others with a grain of salt. And number eight, see it every night. You know, and so you pick one, but but partner person might be a great topic for this audience. But if you think there's one better, then I'm going to shut up and let you pick. I think that's a great one as well, because in this business, uh, unlike in a single family house world, it's kind of like me, myself and I. But in multifamily, it's hard. It's very unusual to be a one man or one woman show. And, and most commonly, there's joint ventures of at least two people, sometimes up to four to five, sure. because it allows us every person in the, in the venture to play to the strength and at the same time allow greater scale and achieve scale faster. But the problem is, same with employees, sometimes you just don't know. You know, you don't, you meet someone at a show, you seem to get along, you seem to have complementary strengths and you hop in, you know, you do a deal together. Uh, but how can you know? I, I, you know, first of all, it's about the other person. But I think what you're saying is, are you yourself a partner person? Do you work in a partnership or do you need to be king and only king? Uh, so talk a little bit about that. Are you a partner person? Exactly. So, and I'm not talking about investors, okay? Because that's where your business model is a yeah. little different. And so if you- I'm not talking about either. I'm talking about active exactly. partners in the business. Yeah, yeah so you're absolutely. Bringing, so, so I just don't want your audience to get confused. This isn't about the investors that are part of your business model. This is, you know, who's going to have a stake in your business. And so there are two types of people in the world. There are people that should have partners and there are people that should not have partners and neither is bad. And there are as many successful in either camp. So you just have to decide because if you're not a partner person, then you should not have partners and you're going to be miserable. And five years from now, you're going to be unwinding a very ugly business. And I'm telling you, I've been through so many of them helping my clients, you know, separate from each other. So, but here's what's important to know. Make that decision first. But now let's pretend you decide you're a partner person. There's two types of partner people. There's a partner person that wants an equal partner, and there's a partner person that is willing to give equity, but maintain controlling interest. And so that's the type of person I am to use an example. I love giving people equity. I love them having skin in the game. I love them having a piece of the rock, but I'll never give up controlling interest. And so I need to be the final say, I need to make the final decision. And so you just need to know which one you are before you go into starting your business so that you're not unwinding a mess five years from now. That is awesome. Love that. Yeah, this, this, it's a unique business. You got to have partners. My first partnership fell apart and I had a tough time getting back into that mode of partnership, you know, I had overcome a lot to, to get back into that. And you but still came back into a new partnership. I'm still amazed about that because I would have been I, in a corner sucking my thumb after something like that. <laughs> it's funny what you do when you're about to go broke, right? 
No, and by the way, I want to say this at this point too, it's really important. When we talked about that entrepreneur range and the person on the left side of the range and you didn't score 90 or higher, go partner with someone who's a true entrepreneur and then it's going to be rocket fuel. You know, it's going to be a match made in heaven. So just know you can still build that empire. And episode 221 was with Brandon Turner of the Bigger Pockets. Now, of course, we talked about COVID and also what he's excited about, which is real estate investing in general, but specifically mobile home parks. It's something that he's really starting to get uh, deep into raising a lot of money around that. So check out why he likes mobile home parks. But probably the most important advice he shared was on having a clear vision for your business. And I love that because clarity is at the heart of anything you do. You know, I, I, I'm reminded of the story of the young college graduate you know, he gets out of college and he climbs the ladder of success. And after many years, he's finally at the top of the ladder and he looks out and he notices that the ladder is on the wrong wall. He actually never wanted to go up that wall, but he never realized it from standing down below the wall. And so Brandon and I talk about creating clarity before you get on this ladder and you waste a lot of time and a lot of years, you know, struggling and striving. And then when you get to the top, you're like, oh my gosh. I, that's not actually what I wanted. I had the same thing for me when I got in real estate. I, I thought I wanted to be a real estate investor, so I started flipping houses. And once I got to the top of the of the ladder, I I you know I flipped like three dozen houses, which I thought was pretty good, made some pretty good money with it. And I was like, my gosh, I don't actually want to be at the top of this ladder because this is not financial freedom. There's nothing passive around flipping houses. And so I never really got clear about this. And we talk about that in this episode, which was entitled "Achieve Big Things with Tiny Action." It's a funny little story. My publisher, Katie, who heads Bigger Pockets Publishing, she came to me the other day or she sent me a message over Slack, uh, which is the communication tool we use at Bigger Pockets. Anyway, she sent me a message and said, This is so funny. Check this out. And I looked at it and it was a screenshot of a line that I wrote in the book on rental property investing. So that's the, the not the first book I wrote, the second book I wrote, but the most popular book I wrote. This was, I wrote it five years ago now, maybe four years, five years ago, I think. And in that book, in like the first chapter, I wrote a line that said, Now I'm not a millionaire, comma, I don't live in paradise, comma, and I don't drive a Tesla. But what I do do is blah, 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 blah. And I looked at that and now, and, and now yeah. I li- I, I'm a millionaire. I live in paradise and I drive a Tesla. And so what, I, <laughs> what was so funny about that is that like clearly that was something that I aspired to even back then. As I said, that's a vision of like, that's what I consider successful is in my mind, because everyone's got a different definition, that's successful. And so like, almost like not subconsciously because I did work towards it, but like that's where I ended up is doing exactly what I said. Like I'm not there yet, which was funny. Anyway, so yeah, vision is so important and I'm such a big believer and I always have been. I've had a vision board and I like vision boards. When I moved, I threw it away because I didn't have room for it in the storage and shipping container, but I didn't want to try to cram it in there. But like just knowing where you want to be in life. Like I knew that I lived in Grays Harbor, Washington, like the armpit of Washington state. Like it's a rough place. I mean, a beautiful place, but just like, rough sometimes. And I was like, I don't want to live here forever. And you know, where, where do I feel alive and happy? And it was like, whenever I'd visit Hawaii on vacation, I'd like, I just never wanted to go home. So I'm like, how do I get there? And it's like this constant thing of like, what's the next little step I can do to get there? So you have your vision on where you want to head to. And then you just like constantly asking, it's really simple. It's like, you just know where you're going and constantly ask, what's the next little tiny step to get there? There's this analogy. Somebody used uh, Bryce Stewart on our podcast back a couple of years ago. He told this great story about vacuuming his truck because he basically said, I don't know how to sell my truck. I need to sell my truck. I don't know how to sell my truck, but I know how to vacuum it. So he went out there and vacuumed it. He's like, I still don't know how to sell my truck, but I know how to take pictures of it. So he took pictures of it. He's like, I still don't know how to sell a truck, but I know how to post it on Craigslist. So in other words, things seem monumental, like moving across the ocean to Hawaii seemed like it was a tremendously huge thing. But the entire process of anything from 
moving across the ocean to buying a hundred unit apartment complex or a mobile home park or self storage or anything. It's made up of little tiny five minute or less actions. Everything in life can be condensed down to a series of five minute or less simple actions. Very few things in life are actually difficult. They're just really complicated. Like they're, they're steps. They're not even that complicated. They're steps that you haven't defined or you haven't practiced. And like, this is true for like everything. Like a rocket scientist probably doesn't think being a rocket scientist is that hard. It's just a lot of little steps that they get, they've just figured out. So anyway, that's, so, that's what I do. So clear, having clarity and then just taking small steps towards that. Yeah. And I think it's, it's so fundamental. And, I, and, and now you have, you showed me earlier, some kind of newsletter style yeah. like thing that you have in your wall. What is, what is that all about? Yeah. So uh, I read a book called, this is what got me into the mobile home park thing really strongly. So I read a book called Vivid Vision by Cameron Harold. And it was all about just having a very crystal clear vision of where you want your business to be three to five years in the future. And you write it as if it's already happened. You write it in the future. And there's different creative ways to do it. I have a buddy who made like a pamphlet. I've seen other examples. I've seen paintings people have done. I chose, I'm a writer. And so I chose to, uh, to write a newspaper article. And I actually formatted it like a newspaper called Columns. And there's a big headline. And it looks like it came straight out of the New York Times. And it says, Basically, and it's long, it's a couple thousand words because this is not like a mission statement for your business. This is a clear vision. Like this is what my company does. This is what we're known for. Uh, I mean, it starts with like December 31st, 2021, uh, opened our capital as an investment firm unlike any you've ever seen. And then it just goes into why that is. And interviews with the CEO, which is me, interviews with like, you know, it mentions like quotes from other people on the team, what they like about it, how many employees we have, how much real estate we own. So anyway, all this combined, to be a very clear vision. And I wrote this on an airplane. I read the book the first hour and then the next six hours coming back to Maui, I, I, I wrote out the vision. And by the time I landed, I was like, I know where I'm going. I know exactly nice. where I'm going. This sounds cool. Because at the end of the day, like people struggle trying to find like what's the right thing for them because they think that they're like on a beach with a metal detector and they're looking for some hidden gold out there. They got to stumble across their purpose or their destiny. And what I like to envision instead is you just have a blank canvas. You've got a paintbrush in each hand and you've got a canvas in front of you. You can paint whatever you want. So rather than asking what's right for me or what's perfect or what's my destiny, just ask the question like, what's cool? What fires me up? What would just be a neat life? And so my vision is a neat life. And I just work backwards from that. So today, everything I do today is just get closer to the vivid vision that we have. And we're, I mean, the goal was by 2021, end of 2021 was to have $50 million in real estate owned. And we're at like 20 right now. And we've got, a good shot at getting to 50 by the end of the year with the amount of offers and properties under contract right now. So yeah, having a clear vision, it's been helpful. Well, that's it. 2020 is officially a podcast episode wrap. So I want to thank all of our wonderful guests we have, but more importantly, I want to thank you, the listeners of this podcast who consistently just make this one of the top performing business investing podcasts out there. I've really enjoyed you know, speaking to you via the podcast, interviewing the guests, and really distilling down some of the best experiences and lessons learned from some of the best investors and experts out there. Now, we've got a great year of content ahead in 2021. I'm really excited. We're going to make some changes to the show that I think you're really going to enjoy. And so I hope you'll stick around and keep listening and tell everyone to listen as well. Now, I, I do want to encourage you to subscribe. If you haven't subscribed already so you don't miss any kind of episode, just use your uh, mobile phone and your podcast app and point it to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. And I'd love to get your reviews. And we really want to get to 750 reviews here in the next couple months. And if you, if you enjoy the show and you haven't reviewed it, I would very much encourage you and, and would love to have your review 
Uh, you'll have to use iTunes to do that and get on the get on the app, and hopefully you can do that. And we're gonna kind of enter you, we're gonna give away some prizes. Okay, so here's how it's gonna work. You're gonna do your review, and it usually takes a half a day or a day to be approved by iTunes. Take a screenshot and send it to my team at digital at themichaelblank.com or post it to us via social media. Pick your favorite on Instagram, Facebook. Post it on there. Hey, here's my screenshot of your review. And we're going to enter you into win some pretty cool prizes. So we're going to give away some, some books. We have these custom freedom t-shirts that if you're watching this on YouTube, you're going to see as well. Uh, we're going to give those away. You can't buy these anywhere. So these are kind of rare. Uh, we're going to give some, some black freedom t-shirts and a bunch of other cool stuff. And we're going to do that in the month of January and February. So again, all you have to do is leave us a review on iTunes, take a screenshot, Email it to me and my team at digital at themichaelblank.com and we'll enter you in the contest. So thank you so much for listening. See you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.